Hello, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. And we hope this message will help you grow in your walk with Christ. And if you'd like to support this ministry, you can do so by visiting theroadfc.org and click on the giving link. Good morning and welcome to week four of our series through the book of James that we're calling Everyday Faith. Uh, today, I want to talk about money. Uh, you know, money is this necessary part of life. Some obsess over getting more of it. Some obsess over not having enough of it. Uh, either way, the truth is it's easy to obsess over money. To help curb the temptation to obsess over money, it's helpful to teach about it. It's helpful to even talk about it. Uh, you know, from the time that our girls were toddlers, we've given them the opportunity to work around the house in order to make uh, some money. Uh, so that they have money to learn how to steward and manage well. And so what we've done is the money that they made is usually split between three jars that we've labeled give, save, and spend. These are, in fact, the three core functions of money, and not just when you're a child. And as it turns out, the Bible has a lot to say about money and some important wisdom to share with us about money as well. Here's just a short sampling of some things that the Bible says about money. Proverbs 22, verse 7 says, The borrower is slave to the lender, which shows us that we need to be really careful about going into debt and how much debt we carry and that Ultimately, it's best to live debt-free. Luke 14, 28 says, Who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Showing us that we need to be prudent, careful, and make sure there's enough resource to accomplish what we set out to accomplish. Malachi verse three, uh, chapter 3, verse 10, tells us, Bring all the tithes, into the storehouse. And the storehouse was a common place to hold grain um, so that in, in times of famine. So giving to the storehouse in times of plenty ensured that everyone would have enough when times weren't uh, so easy or when times were difficult. Uh, and this shows us two things. Many scholars have drawn an analogy to the Old Testament storehouse to the church in the New Testament. That as Christians, we're encouraged to give 10% of our income to support the kingdom work of the church. On a broader scale, though, what Malachi shows us and teaches us is that we need to be generous with our wealth to help make sure that we support those who do not have enough. And so what we learn in the Old Testament is actually brought even further in the New Testament. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 12 tells a story of many rich men who came to the temple and gave a huge offering, while a widow gave only two small coins. Upon seeing this, Jesus says the widow has given more uh, because she gave a larger portion of what she had. This antidote shows us that we aren't just called uh, to, to give what is required or what is asked, but we are called to live generously. Paul, is summing all of this up, uh, says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, God loves a cheerful giver. In short, the Bible, the wisdom of the Bible 
regarding our money is to give, save, and spend. These three core functions remain not just in childhood, but into adulthood as well. Give money to help others support causes or organizations in the work of God through the local church. Save money for a rainy day or future purchases and then spend money on things that you need and then also some things that you want. The challenge is to keep all of these in proper proportion. Now, I admit out loud that I'm oversimplifying the Bible's teaching on money. And these are important lessons that many of us would benefit from. But these important things that we need to learn about money uh, so that we don't obsess over them. But there's also a deeper, more foundational thing to consider. What is the Christian's relationship to money supposed to be? How are we as Christ followers to think about this necessary thing of life that can so easily become an obsession? And this is what James James seeks to help us answer or address in his letter uh, about our everyday faith. I want to read to you just a couple of verses out of James chapter 1. James chapter 1, verse 9 through verse 11. And this week, I actually want to read out of the New Living Translation. So here's James chapter 1, beginning with verse 9, out of the New Living Translation. It says this, Believers who are poor have something to boast about, for God has honored them. And those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. For they will fade away like a little flower in the field. The hot sun rises and the grass withers. The little flower droops and falls and its beauty fades away. In the same way, the rich will fade away with all of their achievements. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, If we were listening carefully to that passage, James actually has some pretty harsh words for those that he considers rich. And it actually gets a lot worse in chapters 4 and 5. He says in chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, Look here, you rich people, weep and groan with anguish because of all the terrible troubles ahead of you. Your wealth is rotting away, and your fine clothes are moth-eaten rags. Your gold and silver are corroded. The very wealth you were counting on will eat away your flesh like fire. Let's take just one moment to recover. Consider this. If you are watching this service on a personal computing device using wireless internet, that has been brought into your home that you own or into your apartment that you rent on a monthly basis, then by global standards, you are rich. So are we to understand that these scathing words are for all of us who are watching this right now? Quite possibly. But I also want us to think about rich less in terms of an account balance and more in terms of a mindset. And I'll come back to that idea in a moment. James uses this metaphor of flowers in a field that bloom and are beautiful, but just as quickly wither and fall. And this word picture is actually an echo of the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. 
And having heard the echo, let's now turn to the original recording. It's found in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8, where the prophet Isaiah says this, The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Now surely James has this in mind when he wrote the first chapter of his letter. And while he has provided us with a remix of Isaiah's words, he wants us to have the full original recording in mind. Uh, The band Owl City recently released a remix of DC Talk's famous song, Jesus Freak, in honor of the 25th anniversary of the release of that song. And I bet that some of you listening to this, realizing Jesus Freak is 25 years old, now feel old yourselves. I know I certainly do. (laughs) The remix is a good song in its own right, but takes on more meaning when it's considered in light of the original recording. And this is just like New Testament authors. When they quote or they echo Old Testament passages, it functions in much the same way as a remix does of an original recording. James echoes Isaiah uh, and Isaiah's metaphor to talk to us about the rich, but he borrows this imagery to make his message provocative and quite important for us. And so money, he says, is a bit like flowers in the field. Beautiful, attractive, attention-grabbing. But we must recognize that the bloom doesn't last long. You probably heard the news around the GameStop stock price. A group of personal investors manipulated the stock of the video game retailer in an effort to stick it to the hedge fund managers who had short sold the stock, uh, which means the hedge fund profits if the stock goes down. Um, And they did all this while getting a piece of the riches for themselves uh, as they forced the stock price up. Now, without getting too deep into the woods of investment theory, uh, which I don't understand anyway, it is clear that for many people, getting caught up or distracted with the possibility of quick money is certainly a thing. And it just illustrates the point that money is like flowers in a field, beautiful, attractive, and attention-grabbing, but James's message is it doesn't last long. And essentially, too, his message, too, is not just this imagery of money being flowers in a field, but also coming with the recognition that if we aren't careful, we can come to believe that the flowers are all that matters. We'll think that the most important thing in life is having the most flowers in our field. And we'll even work hard to keep the flowers continually blooming. And this is why the original recording of Isaiah is so important to James's message. Isaiah's declaration is that the only thing that lasts forever, the only thing that is eternal, is the Word of God. And so the Word of God is not just the true information that God gives or the true information that we learn about God, but the, the Word of God is the life-changing living word that lives inside of us, the living word of Christ. And so the word of God is the thing that gets deep inside of us, uh, heals us, and transforms our heart and motivations. This is the eternal thing. 
And so the message of James, and then also Isaiah, and Jesus in his teachings about money, is that our primary pursuits should be for that which is eternal, not for that which eventually fades. And I would say that is a really good and timely word. It's something that I think all of us need to hear. But a few moments ago, I said that I want us to think about rich, not so much in terms of our bank accounts, but as a mindset. So what about that? Well, throughout the scriptures, there are some really harsh words reserved for those who are rich. Jesus says it's easier for a camel to enter through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. But here's the problem. When is someone considered rich? At what point do you cross from being poor to being rich? Is there a safe middle class in the midst, somewhere in the middle there? And how is this defined? And who decides? I mean, wealth appears to be pretty relative. With maybe the exception of the multi-billionaires, we can safely say they're rich. And for those who uh, don't have enough to meet their daily needs, we can safely say they are poor. But a huge portion of the population doesn't live in those extremes, but rather lives in this kind of relative middle ground. Someone might look at me and say, he is rich. I might look at someone else and say, in comparison to them, I don't have much. And this makes it difficult to discern who falls into the category of the biblically rich. And so let's go back to this concept of rich as a mindset. Rich is a word used to describe those in any culture that pursue wealth above all else, who prioritize wealth above all else. And whether that priority is getting more or obsessing over not having enough, rich is this mindset of being purely focused on what is my bottom line financially. And so since rich is difficult to define, it's best understood as a mindset of what we prioritize or what we pursue. It can also be communicated or understood as a mindset of self-dependence or self-reliance. And all the people watching this service on a personal computing device connected to the internet in the safety of their home or apartment had a sigh of relief. Woo! This scripture isn't talking about me. Not so fast. <laughs> because here's the thing. The more money you actually literally physically have, the easier it is and the more prone you are to adopt a rich mindset or a mindset of richness. The easier it is to start thinking that the flowers in the field are all that there is. I mean, just look around. Assuming that you are watching this and that you live in America, you live in the richest country in the world. But instead of having a country filled with people that are happier than ever, 
We largely live in a country of people believing that they will never or that they don't have enough. And in in our culture, we idolize those who have more. We see celebrities with their mansions, their fleet of fancy cars, and their luxurious vacations, and we are seduced by the glitter of it all. If we aren't careful, we'll pursue the glitter, the flowers in the field, above all else. And so while richness is a mindset, in a very real sense, our mindset is connected to the balance of our bank accounts. So we who are rich by global standards must fight like crazy to make sure that our primary pursuit is not more riches, but the treasure of a transformed life and character Because James's message is that is what's eternal. Our primary pursuit should not be more riches, but the eternal treasure of a transformed life and character. So rich is this mindset of self-dependence. For those who have money, it's easy to believe that money, that because of money, there's no need for God. For those that don't have much, it's easy to believe that once you have more, then you'll finally be secure. A self-dependent mindset is antithetical to the kingdom of God. For the kingdom of God is about our connection to others, our connection to creation, our connection to God. And this is why James and the other biblical authors have such harsh words to say to the rich. Be totally self-dependent. And your life will fade away as quickly as the bloom of a flower. I want to be clear. These are spiritual realities that are grounded in the real world. That the bigger the, the, bigger the balance of our bank account, the more prone we are to adopt a mindset of richness. Some of you have heard me say in the past that when we read about the poor in Scripture, we shouldn't We should be careful not to over-spiritualize that. That Jesus has a message about how we are to treat those who are actually tangibly, physically poor. We can't make then the same interpretive mistake when we read the rich. That if we fall into a rich category and say, oh, that just means this or that. Right? So I want to kind of get to the real root of it. How this rich and poor are actually mindsets, but are so deeply and inextricably rooted to the real tangible things like our, the balance of our bank account. And so you have this mindset of richness, this mindset of self-reliance, this mindset of pursuit of wealth above all else. But in contrast, then you have a kingdom mindset that sees our interdependence, our mutual dependence upon God and one another. And when we adopt a kingdom mindset, we recognize that we have this mutual dependence. And what that means is that we are more likely to live with generosity. And we can live generously in so many ways. We can live with a generous love toward others. We can live with a generous grace. We can live generously by having a spirit of hospitality but we can also live generously with our pocketbooks, with our finances. And in fact, I would argue that generosity is a good antidote to the mindset of richness. 
that you can have plenty. But when you are connected to the fact that you have plenty and are generous with what you have, then it can help keep you from this mindset of richness, of self-reliance. We've been watching a TV show called The Kindness Diaries. The show is a visual diary of a successful businessman who realized his life was all about working and making money. So he quit his job in order to travel the world. Having found new life in his travels, he decides to embark on a journey around the world with one major caveat. That is, he must travel with nothing but his old motorcycle, the clothes on his back, no money, no food, no extra clothing, uh, no means of buying gas. That would leave him completely dependent upon the kindness of others for his most basic needs. Now, the twist of the show is that since he has plenty of wealth, when he experiences a a special kind of kindness, then he'll return the favor in a big way to the person that showed kindness to him. In one of the more memorable episodes, he meets a man at a park and asks if he could stay at his house that night. The man reveals that he would be more than happy to do that, except that he himself is homeless. But if the host of the show would want, then he would be welcome to join this homeless man and his friends at their camp. And so that's what the host does. He goes to the camp of this homeless man. Together they share stories, they tell jokes, and then the host of the show lays his head on a makeshift bed prepared by his new homeless friend. In the morning, the homeless man insists on giving the host of the TV show socks and underwear for his journey. The host is so overwhelmed by the kindness of this man who has practically nothing that he then reveals that he will send this man to school uh, to do a trade and learn a trade so that he can have a means of getting a stable job. It really is a powerful show and a powerful episode. But what, what the host learns or reveals throughout his journeys is that most of the time it's those who have very little that are the most generous. They've been, in other words, it's those who have been in positions of having to benefit from the generosity of others who are more likely to show generosity toward others when they see someone in need. This is what I'm talking about. The kingdom mindset is an awareness of our interdependence on one another regardless of how much we have. And the rich mindset is a mindset of self-reliance or self-dependence where I'm always seeking to have more, which leads me to not be generous, or I'm obsessing over what I don't have, which also prevents generosity in my life and in my heart. So here is what I want to say. Christians in the USA, it is not inherently wrong or sinful to have plenty. But as Christians, it is imperative that we learn to fight the mindset of richness and adopt a kingdom mindset of interdependence. 
which is then practiced through generosity. So what should our relationship toward money be? It should be a partnership. Not, it should be more like a partnership and less like a romantic relationship, right? In a romantic relationship, we'll believe that, that money will complete me. <laughs> money is everything. It's the source of security and hope. But in a partnership, for the Christian, we can recognize that money is a part of life, but it, it, is, not the, it is not the source of life. And then armed with this awareness, we can use money to make sure that we have our own needs met and then also help to meet the needs of others and embody the generosity of the kingdom of Christ. Amen? Amen. I encourage us to look at our budgets, look at our lifestyles and begin to ask the question, how can we be more generous? So that's my challenge to you this week. May God bless you as you uh, begin that endeavor. Amen.